Thank you, Alex. Appreciate you leading us in worship. Thank you, Amy, for playing and doing the request. That's always a little nerve-wracking. Very good. Have a praise. You know, this week we begin our third year with you guys. It's hard to believe. Time flies when you're having a great time. And I just want to tell you that I appreciate the church so many different ways. But one of the ways I I appreciate the church is your love for the Word of God and your desire for sound teaching and that you've been that way for long before I ever came. And it's a blessing to serve in this pulpit uh, and to serve alongside of you. And uh, it's, we're just delighted to be here. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. We are rapidly coming to the end of this book study, and it's with no small amount of reluctance on my part to close out this book. I enjoy the reading of it and the study of it so much. And I hope that you've been encouraged that this is a book that you can take and understand and read through and continue to grow. The things that are expressed here, one of the reasons I love this book, the things that are expressed here are so close uh, that we live in a generation that could conceivably see uh, these things come to pass, the the beginning of these things come to pass. And, you know, I was thinking this today as I talked about... um, this morning, Romans chapter 13, verse 11, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I'm just wondering out here, how long some of you have been born again? Can you give me some years that you've been born again? I told you this morning that I was 42 years, actually 41 years uh, since I came to faith. How about some of you? Ten. Ten. Amen. Seventeen. Sixty-one years in the faith. <laughs> yeah, Gordon lived in the world longer than you did. Uh, <laughs> how many, uh, who else? 36, what did you say? Mary, what did you say? 57, awesome. What a blessing. Anyway, these things are near. As we live in this generation, we very well could see uh, the beginning of these things, and so that's exciting. Revelation 21.9, let's pick up there and we'll just kind of review briefly for about five minutes where we've been and then move right into our passages under our consideration today. 21.9, then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Are you with me? Verse 9. He's referring to the city, so we know who lives there, all the saints whom the city was made for. This is the Father's house coming down out of heaven, prepared for us. Jesus said he went to prepare it in John 14, so that where he is, we could be also. Verse 10, if you look there. They carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, a stone of crystal clear jasper. And that, I told you last time, is a transliteration likely of the word diamond. It's a foreign word to the New Testament other than used right here. And so uh, I think that's probably meaning diamond. So the thing looks like a diamond. The glory of the Lord is shining out of a brilliant uh, gem. And uh, prophet Ezekiel 40, the prophet's given a view of the millennial temple from an exceedingly high mountain. Right before the millennial kingdom begins, we know that there's uh, Jerusalem's lifted up by an earthquake. John gets to stand, watch the new Jerusalem. Uh, come down. Verse 12, it had a great and high wall with 12 gates and the gates 12 angels and the names were written on them which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. 
12 gates guarded by 12 angels and the 12 tribes of Israel, God's chosen people, they're on the gates and they're going to blend together then in the living arrangements of the saints. We knew that this was coming. The Lord has redeemed all for his own glory. Verse 13, there were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Verse 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. That's very cool, isn't it? Uh, the access to God's city brings to mind the Jew through whom the oracles of God came, the law, the prophets, and Messiah. And the foundation of the city, uh, the access to the city, the plan laid out so that all could know how to come in, is built on the teachings of the Twelve Apostles, the gospel of grace representing the church. Now, we get to some specifications in verse 15. Let's look there. That the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls and the city, verse 16 is laid out as a square and its length is as great as its width and he measured the city with the rod 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. And the sheer volume and dimensions of this new Jerusalem we looked at last week are staggering. 2,250,000 square miles, about 10 times the square miles of the state of Texas, about half, about half the volume of the moon can, can be contained in this city. And you'll see those answers on the back side of your notes. It's huge, it's perfect, it's beyond imagination. It's going to reach into the exosphere. And it's a city approximately uh, appropriately named as God's city. It also has a wall around it. Look at verse 17. He measured its wall, 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. So the angel is measuring like a man would. One cubit equals 18 inches, and he, uh, he measures this wall. It's about 200 feet high. Now look at verse 18. The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city were adorned with every kind of precious stone. And these are similar stones to the ones found in the breastplate of the ephod of the high priest. And we saw that last time. Uh, beautiful foundation stones described for us in verses 19 through 21, which we read last time. And we'll go straight on and say the city uh, and the street of the city, it says, was pure gold like transparent glass. And so that description, although hard for us to imagine, the gold shines we saw last time, it twinkles like a gem. That's the language of uh, that pure gold-like transparent glass. The idea is that it twinkles like a gem, so polished. And we gathered from this description a lot of the Lord's nature, uh, something of it uh, anyway, that he loves beauty. He's creative. He's not constrained. He sets aside the best for us. Uh, so much loveliness there in his, as a builder, an architect. He's generous. He's worthy of glory. Uh, magnificence are due to his name. Now, we said last time, that's our review. You can flip over your notes. Some of the rules of the city, some of the glory and the benefits of the city. And it's important to embrace as we start in this last section, as we move up to the end of the description of moving into the eternal uh, portion uh, of this description, that we need to take what we are going to study here at face value. And I say that because not all the details are given to us. Not all the intimate details about how all this is going to work out. The Lord has not seen fit to give us those things. And so we don't have the answers to them. Much speculation. There's hundreds and hundreds of books written about these types of things, but the Lord hasn't given us the details. So what we'll do is just take them at face value and understand them to be true. I love that line in that song. Uh, the words that are true, may they, uh, uh, may they undo unbelief. So let's look at the first uh, verse 22 of Revelation 21. You look there with me. I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. So he sees the streets, uh, pure gold like transparent glass, and he sees there's no temple there. Uh, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. So contrary to the long history of temples in Israel, 
There will be no temple in the New Jerusalem. And so if you think about that then and the implications there, there will be then free access to the Lord. Uh, that's really what it's letting us know. It will be for all. If you recall, only the priests could enter the sanctuary proper and that only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies and that on one day of the year. And really what we have, I think, as we think about it, right now we have instant access to God through prayer, don't we? If we pray, we understand the Lord hears our prayers. Well, that's the physical reality of the eternal kingdom. The physical reality is that we have access to the Lord. Immediate access without barrier. No temple, no barriers to only certain people can come in. Now look at verse 23, if you would. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the lamp. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't a sun and moon. It just means it doesn't need one to shine on it, okay? Because in just a few minutes, we're going to get the, uh, the possible uh, thing that the, there could be a sun, and it's at uh, high noon all the time. So let's uh, look on. But anyway, if you look at that verse, the city has no need of the sun and of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it and its lamp is the Lamb. God the Father and the Lamb will be the all-sufficient light of the city. And so, uh, the Lamb will meet every uh, requirement. And remember, that in the temple, as in the tabernacle, there were three means of illumination. And these are, as you think through these from the past, in the outer court, the illumination of the sun by day, the moon by night was ample. Uh, for the inner sanctuary, the candlesticks lighted up all the furniture and because the light of the moon did, and, and sun did not penetrate there. And then for the Holy of Holies, the Shekinah light provided the, the light in the Holy of Holies. And so uh, what we have now is, is that uh, you just have this light providing light for everyone. So no temple, the light provides the light for all. And of course that light really points towards Christ as he uh, said about himself, John 1, 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Uh, just all this marvelous symbolism as we think about uh, what the, the word has always said about Christ himself and how he was the light uh, John 1, 9, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. That's the light that's going to lighten, that's going to enlighten the, the internal kingdom. John 9, 5, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Uh, the Lord and Jesus have always been the light. They will be physically in eternity. Now look back at verse 24, if you would. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The new Jerusalem with the church will be the center of the governments of the earth. There's never been a rule like this, but there will obviously be some type of government of the earth, and there will be nations. And so, it's, uh, once again, we take these things at face value. The Lord has not seen fit to show us how all this will unfold. It also indicates there will continue to be differing levels of authority among the redeemed. And as we spoke of before, I think in Gordon's absence, and then he reminded us again, uh, the faithful deeds of the saints follow them. That faithfulness that you do, the work that you do, uh, the Lord then entrusts greater uh, work to you later as a result of being faithful with what you've done. But there will be continuing different levels of authority among the redeemed and the kings of the earth, it says, uh, before redemption, basked in their own uh, glory. Now redeemed uh, kings bring their glory, uh, all the glory they had, and give it to God. Now look at verse 25. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed. And so it refers to the fact, not that there isn't a sun and moon, but in the daytime, uh, there will be uh, no night there. The gates will never be closed. There's never, uh, there will always be unhindered access, no setting sun, uh, full noon always, ever since uh, Adam and Eve 
sinned. There has been a barrier to access. They couldn't enjoy the Garden of Eden after they sinned. Uh, Adam feared communication with God himself and hid himself. When Israel accepted the yoke of the law in, in uh, Exodus 19 and following, immediately they were not allowed access to Mount Sinai on pain of death. And uh, when the tabernacle, later the temple also, uh, was put up and constructed, God placed the symbol of his presence, the Shekinah, uh, literally the dwelling presence of God in the innermost compartment, so as far from sinful man as possible. And he could only come through his representative, the high priest, with the blood of an offering. And he dwelt there on the mercy seat. Now, in this new eternal kingdom, in the new Jerusalem, all blockages to access are removed forever. The Lord continues to confirm that's the case. We saw last time, see the Lord face to face. Uh, he'll, we will be with him. He'll wipe the tears away. A very personal interaction with the Lord. Now look at verse 26, if you would. And they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And nothing, verse 27, unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This verse really builds on the truth of verse 24, but notice the glory there. In the worship of Israel, no uh, Gentile could ever enter into the holy precincts without serious uh, repercussions. If you remember the persecution of Paul, Acts 21, verse 22 and following, uh, that he, it was inferred that he brought a Gentile into the temple and they went uh, just crazy on him. They wanted to stone him and, and uh, arrest him anyway and then kill him. But uh, that's not how it's going to be now. Sin in all its hideous forms, uh, that's going to be entirely excluded. Uh, what happened to all the sinful unredeemed, remember? Where were they judged? In the great white throne judgment. That's already passed. All sinfulness, all those who... Uh, who would not submit to the Lord, all those who would not come by faith to him in repentance, they've all been judged. They're never going to enter into this setup, this eternal kingdom. The never-ending beauties of the new Jerusalem really are indescribable, uh, but they are such because the Lord Jesus sent his presence there. That's the reason why they are. That's As we think about the word heaven or we think about the word uh, of eternity and spending uh, that in the New Jerusalem, realize it is that and all those things because the Lord himself presence is there. Now look at chapter 22, verse 1. We'll go a few uh, verses into that. <clears throat> and he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb uh, in the middle of its street. Now let's stop right there. Now let's... Um, Realize the view has shifted somewhat for John as he's looking at the New Jerusalem. Now, uh, not completely, but with this river, it really probably flows from the New Jerusalem onto the New Earth. And so the view has shifted now from uh, really the beauty of the city and some of the rules of the city. Now it's telling us something of the detail of the city. This real river speaks of fullness, of refreshment, of life, and joy. It's reminiscent really of salvation, the water of life. It's uh, illustrated really uh, wonderfully. Uh, Psalms 36, verse 7, listen to this beautiful psalm. It talks really about this and how this has always been how the Lord has been viewed. How precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house. Isn't that beautiful? That's great worship, isn't it? They drink their fill of the abundance of your house and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. That's the blessing of those who know the Lord. Even here, we sample that, don't we? Imagine our presence with him forever in a body that's made to last forever. Now that sounds like heaven, doesn't it? For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you. 
and your righteousness to the upright in heart. The great psalm of love and praise to the Lord, but reminiscent really of the future kingdom that's promised. Now, this millennial kingdom, in the millennial kingdom, we knew that there was a river that flows out of the millennial temple. We looked at that briefly last time. Uh, it heals the earth and the waters and begins to restore the water somewhat until the remaking, uh, the destruction of the earth and remaking. Remember Ezekiel 47.1. This is really reminiscent. It was, we saw this river flow out of the uh, millennial temple. Here, it's going to flow out of the new Jerusalem. But in the millennial temple, Ezekiel 47.1 brought me back to the door of the house. And behold, the water was flowing from under the threshold of the house towards the east. For the house faced east and the water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, from the south of the altar. And Zechariah uh, gives us some more insight, 14.8. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea, half toward the western sea. It will be in summer as well as in winter. And so in the Millennial Temple... There's going to be a river flowing out in the eternal kingdom out of the new Jerusalem. The scriptures tell us that there will be a river that flows out. Now let's look a little bit about that. Look at verse 2 of Revelation 22. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Let's stop right there. So same type of tree we find in Genesis 2.8. Uh, but what type of tree is missing that we saw in the tribe? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you think we already have that knowledge? Forever we have that knowledge, and we know the high price of that knowledge, don't we? Uh, that remembrance, I think, will always be there for us uh, in a way that's part of perfection, that we understand uh, these things. There was also a river that flowed out of the Garden of Eden that formed four river heads, as Scripture tells us, on the earth. But here, satisfying fruit will be there in abundance. The saints will partake of it. Even the leaves, it says, will promote the sustained health of the nations and make life in heaven all the more satisfying. Face value. How's that going to work? I don't know. I don't have to know. I just know that that's how it's going to be. Verse 3. There will no longer, it says, be any curse. And that's an amazing statement because we are right in the middle. We understand how terrible the curse is. We know that the earth groans. We saw that on Sunday morning, and we've been studying that, and we understand how, the, how that works and how the, uh, the earth's fate is connected to men's fate. But verse 3 says there will no longer be any curse. The curse brought on by the uh, human family through disobedience of Adam will be completely wiped out. It's a wonderful reminder. Only the redeemed are there, whose sin, whether before or after Calvary, were paid for at Calvary. No curse Anywhere. Genesis 3.14. Remember, that's where it started. After Adam and Eve sinned, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and pain. You will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18, both thorns and thistles that shall grow for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. Till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And of course, as we've studied this morning, uh, 
passage that's as familiar to us as any. The creation was subjected to futility. And we understand that now, I think. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption and to freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And here we look at the final harvest, don't we? We see uh, we've moved from first fruits into the fullness that God had planned for those who love Him. Now look at verse 3, Revelation 22. And the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. There could be no curse where the throne of God and the Lamb exist. These are spiritual irreconcilables of infinite proportions. The, the Lamb, the throne of the Lamb, the throne of God exists there. There's not going to be any curse there. And His bondservants will serve Him. Verse 4. They will, get this, see His face. And his name will be on their foreheads. That's amazing, isn't it? Let's pause right there for a minute. A faultless, joyful, eternal service without failure or weariness, with fullness of joy and with praise. Isn't that marvelous? Many questions whether saints in heaven will see God's face. You know, hey, is it possible to see God's face? Something's going to happen here that wasn't allowed to happen before. The scripture here is plain. The saints will assuredly see his face face. That's amazing, isn't it? And remember, this has not happened before. I was just thinking, I was reading, uh, doing some uh, extra reading on this. Exodus 24, 9 and following. Remember, Moses, he's, uh, he brings Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, 70 of the elders to the base of the mountain where, uh, to Sinai where the law was given. And uh, somehow as they're sitting there partaking, uh, it says in verse 9, Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, verse 10, and they saw the God of Israel under his feet. There appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Verse 11, yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they saw God, it says, and they ate and they drank. Now, whatever they saw has to be constrained by the text. We don't know that in the presence of you know, such holiness and power, they did not look up at his face. But in the new Jerusalem, in the new Jerusalem, we're going to be able to see God's face. Now look back at verse 4, if you would, Revelation 22, 4. It says, The name of God on their foreheads, it indicates a, a public, they'll see his face, his name will be on their foreheads. It really indicates a public acknowledgement of belonging to him as well as conformity to his nature, uh, his name on our foreheads somehow. Verse 5, There will no longer be any night. They will not have need of the light of a lamp nor of the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them. And then, I was just thinking, as uh, we're still in that stage ourselves, how early in life does a child learn to fear darkness? In an advanced age, it begins again. And yet, for the believer, darkness will be banished forever. Darkness always flees in the presence of light anyway, and the Lord's light is there. So God and Christ are the eternal light of the world and have always been so, and in the eternal kingdom, they're going to be the physical light as well. And they, it says, that's the saints, will reign forever and ever. And that's really how Revelation closes out. 
the eternal kingdom, if you will, how the eternal kingdom begins. And gives us some other hints in Daniel, which we'll look at. But overall, we don't have a lot of specific detail to the eternal kingdom. The millennial reign and the eternal reign really move and just kind of one blends into the next one in very real sense. The, Lord, the earth is recreated. The Lord begins this uh, eternal reign forever and ever. Uh, saints will never cease to reign as long as there will be subjects. And once again, we understand that there will be levels of authority. They're going to reign forever and ever. And uh, if you think about it, why do earthly kingdoms come to an end? Well, they're terminated either by injustice, fraud, ineptitude, or death, right? But there won't be any of those things in the eternal kingdom. None of those would be present when Christ the King reigns with his bride. So why then should not the millennial phase of his reign merge into the eternal phase as he's made new the earth? Now, next time we get into our study, Scripture, we're off next week because of Easter. Next time, Jesus is going to speak directly to those who have had an opportunity to read and study this book. He has a few things he wants to say in parting uh, through John. And so we'll begin that look next time. We're also going to have, over the, in the next several weeks, a Q&A session. So if you've got questions about things we've studied on Sunday morning or things we've studied on Sunday night, I'd be uh, delighted to have a look at them. Email them to me, text them to me, uh, write them down and give them to me. We'll put them together and we'll have a Q&A session uh, as we close out this, uh, this marvelous book before we move into the book of Daniel. All right? Let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer, if you would. It's a joy to be together with you today. It's been fun to be in the Word. Lord, we thank you for uh, this time together, uh, saints together worshiping you. We thank you for the, uh, the gifts that you've given Berean to encourage her, to uh, bring her, make her more radiant, make her more lovely. As you work through gifted people, uh, by the Holy Spirit's power, you make us the type of church you want us to be. Continue to do that, Father, I pray, that we may be the type of church that's needed in this age, an age perhaps that will see the beginnings of all these things, the rapture of the church and all of that. Help us to be the type of salt and light that we need to be in these closing days. And Father, I thank you again for the fellowship of the saints. I thank you for the joy of being here for two years and, and looking forward to many, many years to come as, you, uh, as your son uh, stays away. And we're joyful and looking forward to that day when we get to see him face to face. And we rejoice uh, with those who have gone before us. And Lord, as we are remaining here, I pray that we'll be faithful servants, faithful to give out the message of life, the gospel, the good news of Christ. Pray for our services this coming weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, that you might draw those who you wish to be here here. You'll give to the church daily those who are being saved, incorporated into the church body, that we may do, do the work of the kingdom as effectively as possible. We give you praise, Lord, and thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. We do all of this. And all God's people said.